All right, let's get into God's Word this morning. I want you to get your fingers in, in uh, Joshua chapter 1, because we're going to get there in just a second, but I want to mess with you just for a little bit here. How many of you know when you've been truly born again, something supernatural happens on the inside? Wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, good, two of you do. Great, all right. <laughs> Lord Jesus, help me. I got, it's got to go better than this. All right, let me try that again. How many of you know when you truly encounter Jesus? and you invite him to come into your life, you're turned upside down on the inside. Things that you used to not have any desires for, all of a sudden you desire. Things that used to control your life, all of a sudden no longer control your life. I'm not saying we don't ever struggle, but I'm just saying something supernatural happens on the inside. It's not about going to church. It's not about being religious. It's about an encounter with Jesus. How many of you know there's a big difference? And, And I'm just saying this. People who have encountered Jesus automatically by their new nature have a desire to pursue God. People who haven't been born again could care less. You have to drag them, for instance, to church kicking and screaming. Because Why? Because they have no desire. They don't get in the word of God. Why? Because they don't have any desire. They don't pray. Why? Because they don't have any desire. One of the things salvation does is it puts within you the desire to love God and love what God loves. Am I talking to the right crowd here? If, if you have not experienced that, God wants to do that for you today. God wants to encounter you today. God wants to make it real today. And in fact, you can't go anywhere spiritually until that happens. You're just spinning your wheels. You're doing what Cyril said. You're trying to do all the complex religious stuff. But how many of you know God hasn't called us to do complex religious stuff? He's called us to love him and to follow him. He's done all the complex stuff. Uh, so this is foundational. This series, I, I did it on purpose. You have to say, Pastor, good job. I'm, thanks for thinking of us, all right? I'm really trying to do it. I'm doing this on purpose. Why am I doing this on purpose? Because I want you to be spiritually buff. Oh, yeah. I want you to kick the devils behind. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm wanting you to start the year off in victory instead of getting your brains beat out. I learned one thing. I wrestled for a while. Wrestling is not fun unless you win. If you don't win, I finally came to the conclusion, what am I doing out here? I'm dressed in a singlet. Right there, there's a problem. I'm out here on this mat all by myself with a guy across from me who's trying to kill me. This is not a good sport. What am I doing? I played baseball. It was much better. But I realize wrestlers, it's only fun when you win. Listen, the Christian walk is much more fun when you win. I was going to say that again. Just, just smile at me and believe me. This is much more fun when we're walking in victory over the enemy. When you're excited, when you're full of joy, when there's breakthrough in your life. That's what God has for us. But isn't it interesting that what Jesus did on the cross, all the heavy lifting, paved the way for us to follow. But, but here's the thing I want to drive home today. There's a participation that's required on our part. And I just want to tell you, you do not get a victorious Christian life by osmosis. Don't you wish you could put your Bible under your pillow and sleep and you just wake up like, whoa, I know the word of God, hallelujah. It doesn't work that way, I wish it did. Or I've even seen people, they say, I go to sleep at night with the Bible on cassette playing, uh, you know, almost as if while you're sleeping, subconsciously, it's all going to register in your spirit, and you're going to be a Bible scholar. I wish it were that easy. 
Now, I'm not saying it's bad to play the Bible while you sleep. Keep it up. It's better than listening to a lot of other things. But I'm just telling you, this is not magic. Any more than if you want to be, if you want to have a six-pack. If you want to have a six-pack, you can either do what I saw on Facebook. Some guy leaned his big old belly up against a fence, a screen, and the wire pressed into his extra tissue. And he looked and he had a six-pack. Now, that's the kind of six-pack I could have. But if you want to have a six-pack, you're going to have to change your diet. You're going to have to change your behavior. You're going to have to say no to some things and yes to some things. You might have to exercise this muscle right here that sometimes we don't exercise. You know know what I'm talking about. We all want to be spiritual Arnold Schwarzeneggers, but then we never want to do anything that's required of us on our part to grow spiritually. And then listen to me, we wonder why we get our brains absolutely beat out in life and why we feel distant from God. So what have we been doing? We've been giving you help. These are not fads I'm talking about. These are not gimmicks I'm talking about. These are time-tested, saint-approved things that have worked through the ages to help people be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. The first week we talked about prayer. Y'all remember that? What is prayer? I'm going to talk about simplicity, Sarah. What is prayer? Talk to God like he's real, like he's alive, like he loves you, like any normal father would be excited about hearing your voice. Am I making sense? Talk to God. He's there. He's listening. He cares about you. That was the first week. Second week, get in the word of God because that's God speaking to us. How are we going to know what's on God's heart or what's important to God if we don't ever read the love letter that he's given to us? Third week, come to church. What happens when you come to church? You sit under the word of God, like we're going to get into today. You let the word of God speak to you. And guess what? There's something we're about, not individually, but corporately here at Living Stones. We're we're called together to do some things, amen? So I talk to you. If, you. if you never show up, or you show up sporadically, you're going to miss a lot of what God is saying. I love it when people come up to me, and I get this benefit because I'm the pastor, but I love it when people come up to me, and they'll say, Pastor Ron, have you been reading my mail? I was just reading that this past week. I was just reading the Psalms this past week. I, did you know? And they tell me something that I had no knowledge of, but here's what should get you excited. The Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And he's trying to not only have a personal encounter with each of us, but he's trying to weave us together into a beautiful tapestry for his glory. And so uh, church attendance is just really important. It also matters that you know the people next to you because, uh, trust me, at some time in your life, you will need them. You're not the Lone Ranger. You need people in your life. And where are you going to find people at your darkest hour? You know what's going to happen from 1 to 5 today? There's going to be a lot of of friends and family of the Bright family coming through and loving and hugging and encouraging. And how about this? People always say, what do you say? I might feel awkward. What do I say? You don't have to say anything. Just hug somebody. Just be there with your presence. Your presence is powerful. We need each other. You weren't called to live this thing alone. And then last week, I gave you an incredible assignment, all right, a challenge to get your Bible out and pray the scriptures, not just the whole scriptures, but the prayer book in the scriptures, which is what? The psalm. And how many psalms are there? 
150, which means you're going to be busy at least half the year just trying to get through the Psalms. And then I guarantee you, you will have forgotten what you read in January. So guess what? Jump back into chapter 1 and work your way through them again. Now this is what's awesome. How many of you have found out that God will speak to you through the Word in an entirely new lens based on what you're going through now? When Larry Bright opens up the Bible and he begins to read for comfort, God is going to be screaming at him in the midst of his loss. He loved his mother very, very much. She was an awesome mother. There's a, a grieving that goes on there. She is going to, or he's going to be reading the scripture, and God will be speaking to him in a fresh way because of his life circumstances. Chris just had an accident this week that totaled the car, uh, but she's here today walking with a little limp, but it'll be gone soon. But you're alive. You could be dead. And you were reading in the Word. Come on, amen. She was up to me today with her, with her Bible on her phone and reading me the Word of the Lord. How many of you know all those passages in the Bible that talk about God surrounding you with a shield, God protecting you? You call, He answers. All of those mean so much when you've just been delivered from near death. And I'm just telling you, the Bible is always alive and fresh. Nancy, I'm not going to pick on you. Well, I guess I already did, didn't I? Don't look at, everybody, don't look at Nancy. I'm not picking on her. But I'm going to tell a story, if I may, without exposing anything. But she came up to me last Sunday. It was so precious. Tears in her eyes. She opened up her journal where she's been writing down what God's been speaking to her. And she's been praying about some situations in her life. And this is what she said. She said, you know what, Pastor? I was spending time in the Word and praying, and I heard the Lord call me by name. And I heard the Lord reference my husband by name. She said, does God do that? (laughs) She said, that was him, right? Here's the good news. That was the Lord. He knows you by name. He knows what you're going through. He knows your spouse by name. He knows your kids by name. You see, some people teach today that as soon as the Bible got closed, God stopped talking. No, God does not have laryngitis. God always talks to his children. Now listen to me. The Bible is what keeps us from getting weird. Nobody should be running around seeking mystical experiences and trying to hear voices. You'll hear voices all right, and I guarantee you they won't be the Lord's. We're not out seeking mystical experiences. That's not what we do. But listen to me. We're equally at fault to suggest that when we're opening up the Bible, which is the very Word of God, and the Holy Spirit is present to open up and reveal truth to us, we're absolutely foolish to think that God doesn't want to talk to His kids. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. He does speak to His children. That's how you know that you're His, because you hear God's voice. Now, I get it. I get it. People out there will think you're nuts. Who cares? Do you know that the first time you hear the Lord speak to you in a personal, intimate way, I'm just going to give you a hint, it will wreck you. It will wreck you. I remember driving down the highway one time with praise and worship music on, and I was just worshiping my guts out. I know that's hard for you to imagine, but I was doing it. And you know what? Something happened to interrupt my worship time. The Lord spoke to me. 
And you know what he did? He told me how much he loved me. This is a true story. I had to pull the car off the road because I was a mess. Anybody know what I'm talking about or am I just nuts? The voice of God spoken in your life changes everything. And he's that intimate and he's that personal. And so I challenged you guys last week, how many of you, and you might already have a good system. I'm not trying to change your system, but how many of you began praying a psalm this week? Anybody? Wave at me if you started praying psalm. Did any of you strike gold? Did any of you find that it helped your prayer life? Uh, did any of you find it gave some structure to what you're doing? Charlie, I'm so proud of you. Charlie, tra- last week, Charlie came up to me and said, Pastor, I need, I need a Bible. Do you happen to have a Bible here? I went and I gave him one of my Bibles that was sitting up on my shelf. And I said, and, and I was, let me just tell you this, I was so excited to be able to do that. It is so awesome to be able to invest in people's lives. And this is what he told me this week. Pastor, I read through 20 Psalms this week. <laughs> I mean, now there's only seven days, but he's an addict. He is a Jesus addict. He's so hungry for God, and he's in the Word, and the Word is changing him. He also told me that his father, whom we prayed for, that's battling cancer, just had a reversal and gained strength this week and started eating this week. Hallelujah. So I want to give you today another time-tested lifeline that God's people have used throughout church history, and I'm referring to the discipline of meditation. Now, most of you, when I say meditation, you think yoga. Some of you are picturing me in yoga pants right now. Knock it off, all right? You ain't going to ever see it. Ain't going to ever see it. Some of you work out with me at, uh, at Planet Fitness. You ain't going to see these legs in yoga pants. I'm just telling you. So, I'm not talking about yoga pants. I'm not talking about like the lotus posture with your fingers like this and you're chanting unintelligible, meaningless words, actually just sounds like om. And you're trying to pour all of rational content from your brain so that you could become one with whatever's out there in the universe. Now that's a scary thought right there, all right? That's not what I'm talking about. Some of you automatically say meditation. You have this aversion right away to meditation. In fact, I just want to show you, you know, I took uh, Pastor Aaron with me various places when we go out to minister, and I want to show you this is not what I'm talking about. This was on Pastor Aaron's, uh, uh, that is actually Pastor Aaron uh, in India with me, and uh, he's doing his morning stretching routines. That's not, he's not meditating, he's just getting ready to read the scriptures, but um. That's not what I'm talking about. Some of you could not get in that position if you tried, so I'm, don't even try. We're not going there. How many of you know, we're not talking about the posture of our bodies. We're talking about the posture of our souls before God. God doesn't like prescribe certain ways that you have to be physically to meet with him, but he does want our, our spirits to be postured in a certain way that we can encounter him. Now, I was just thinking about the good old days when the sun was shining and it was warm outside and we put things in the ground. Y'all remember those days? You plant things? All right. How many of you have ever been gardening and all of a sudden a torrential downpour comes and everybody runs in the house and, I mean, just buckets of water, but it it leaves as fast as it came and you go back out there and you think your garden's going to be really well watered and everything. You get the hoe out and you break the ground and you realize it only went in about a quarter of an inch as far as saturation. 
Or I've been trying to get grass to grow, and I, I stand out there with the hose, you know, and I'm watering the grass, but I'm kind of impatient, you know. Maybe, maybe you're the same way, and I, I water, and I think, okay, that's good. That's good. Let's move on to something else. And then I go, and I break the ground up, and it barely even broke the soil. And I realize this, these little grass seeds have no hope with the way that I'm watering this. Do any of you, when you're growing up, have one of those old-fashioned uh, yard, you know, lawn waterers, the old, the old arm like this, and real slow? And, of course, when you were a kid, you tried to race through it without getting wet. It's coming. Woo! You're running through. And, of course, it's always freezing cold, and it's like 100 degrees outside, and one little drop just, yeah. all right, I mean, it was fun, right? And uh, you let it go, though, don't you? And you think, this is not doing much of anything. But you let that go, say, for the whole morning, and you go out there and walk in your grass, it's like gushy. Now, let me, why am I sharing all this? Because some of us, our Bible reading times are like the way I would water my seed. Um, it's fast, it's furious. I'm, okay, I'm going to read a psalm a day. Boom. Hallelujah. We're good to go, Lord. See you later. And what, what just happened was you just got a torrential downpour that did not saturate. And I think, or, or you come to church, and maybe your mind's somewhere other place, and we're preaching the word, we're reading the word, and you leave, and you get in the car, and someone says, oh, you, you went to church today? What'd the pastor preach about? And you go, oh, yeah, uh, uh, he was talking about a water hose. Oh, that's powerful. Yeah, that's really life-changing. <laughs> that is life-changing. What happened? The rain just went right off of you, right? Because you didn't get saturated. What happened? Why, why do we spend an extended period of time singing and worshiping because guess what we want you to get wet well you know it's hard when you come into a church and they say open up your bible or the hymnal to whatever and you sing a song and then you're done you just started waking up i was just loosening up my vocal cords you know me 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 trying to get in tune and sometimes before i'm even like ready i'm even warmed up boom we're done it takes time in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord to have his full effect on us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So the goal is, in meditation, we're not trying to just read real fast and book out of the room. What we're trying to do, first of all, is slow down, pray the scripture. I mean, prayer is also meditation. You're, You're rehearsing what you just said to the Lord, and he's giving you insight and application. But meditation is when we pause. We spend some time there. And let me... Let me get into how God wants to saturate us through his word. Before I do that, let me just talk for a second about information overload. You know, we're living in a culture today where we're bombarded with so much information. It's like a a deluge of stuff that's vying for our attention. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Especially with social media, cell phones, everything else. I was reading some data on this. In 1976, if you went grocery shopping, the typical grocery store had about 9,000 different choices. That's a lot of things to choose from. If you go grocery shopping today you will have about 40,000 different items to choose from in the grocery store. Now, we found this to be especially interesting when missionaries come off the field, especially if they're in primitive areas, like say when they're in their country, they go to buy soap. First of all, if you go to buy soap and, it's, and there's soap available, you're excited. But when they come back here and they go like to Walmart or they go to any of our grocery stores, you go to buy soap, how many different brands of just body soap can you find at the typical store? I mean, it's overwhelming. I'll bet you there's 40 different varieties. And then you can get liquid soap. And you can get soap, you know, it comes in all different kinds of shapes and sizes in delivery packages. That's just soap. Now imagine this, we're just trying to go through our normal day. I mean, you know, life is hectic. 
And I'm telling you, guys, hey, we need to slow down. We need to have time to meditate. And you're like, Pastor, you're on drugs. What is the matter with you? Don't you know how busy I am? Trust me, I do. But I'm going to convince you before the message is over that if the word of Christ is going to dwell in us richly, then we have to make sure the meditation on the word goes deep into our hearts. So let's just talk about a definition here. This is from uh, uh, a man named, last name Whitney in a, a book that he wrote called Spiritual Disciplines. It says, uh, he says, deep meditation is deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in scripture for the purposes of understanding and application and prayer. So deep thinking so that we can understand, apply, and pray what we're learning. Meditation means chewing on some truth, savoring it, seeking to apply it to the heart. Check this out, so that we feel the significance of what we just read. In other words, there's a feeling component. I share with you in Eastern meditation, the goal is to empty your mind. In Christian meditation, the goal is to fill your mind with truth, God's truth. It's vastly different. And not just your mind, but we got to fill our hearts. I shared last week about George Mueller, great man of God, great prayer warrior. I encourage you to read a biography from George Mueller. But this is what Mueller shared with us. He said, now I saw that the most important thing that I had to do was give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to the meditation on it. Why? He said that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed. And he said, while meditating, he goes, here's what I'm after, that my heart might be brought into experiential communion with the Lord. Do you all understand the difference? I know people that love information. I know people that go to Bible studies till they're blue in the face. But here's the problem. They're pursuing knowledge. They're not pursuing Jesus. Have you ever noticed people like that? They're always wanting to learn something new. The problem is they never apply. I'll speak for myself. I don't need to learn new things. I need to apply things that have, I've known for years and years and years and years and years. The, the, the weakness is not in learning. The weakness is in application. Am I speaking to everybody right? Have you found this to be true? So yes, keep going to Bible studies. But here's the point. I think it was Jonathan Edwards. He said this. It's not enough that God wants us to know him because that's good. But God wants us not just to know him, but to delight in him. In other words, the devil knows God. But there's no delight for God in the devil. God wants us to not only gaze upon his beauty, but to fall in love with what we've seen. Y'all understand the difference? That means the head is only part of it. The heart's the other part of it. Meditation helps what you get move from here to here. And check this out. When light in my head falls into my heart, it ignites a fire in my heart. And the fire in my heart causes me to want more light in my head. And it's this beautiful cycle of pursuing God that happens. Don't stop in your quiet time until your heart has been awakened by the presence of Jesus. Thomas Watson's one of my favorite Puritan authors. This is what he said. The reason we come away so cold from reading God's word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fires of meditation. We could be sitting out in the parking lot today having church, and if there was a nice bonfire roaring, I guarantee you we would not be staying far away or just walking by, kind of waving at it as we went. What do you do when there's a fire and it's cold? You get as close as you can get, and you warm yourself as long as you can because it feels so good. That's the goal in meditation, to warm our hearts on the presence of God and on the truth that's found in His Word. Now, some of you, I already know where you're going to go with this. You're thinking, Pastor, I am just not a meditator kind of person. 
I am an action figure. I am on the move. I, I, am, I am on the go. It's hard for me even to have a quiet time in the morning. It's hard for me even to pray in the morning. Now you're throwing in this meditation thing. I'm, I'm just not a meditator. Let me just pop your all's bubble. Every one of you, this is going to be eye-opening. Every one of you in this room is a professional meditator. I'm going to set you up. Hang in there with me. I'm going to prove it to you. One of my favorite passages in the Bible as far as the principle, is found in Psalm 39, verse 3. should be on the screen. Psalm 39, verse 3. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got. The New King James Version says it this way. My heart was hot within me while I was musing the fire burned. Let me show you how you're all perfect, awesome, well-practiced meditators. While I thought about it, the fire got hotter. Have any of you ever been offended, for instance? The more you think about it, the hotter it gets. The more I rehearse the injustice, right? The more I rehearse the injustice, the warmer the offense gets. See, here's the, here's the issue. We're all expert meditators. The problem is we meditate on the wrong things. We, we all know how to meditate, though, because what fills your mind, what, what you set your affection on, what you set your gaze on, what you think on over and over again. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I'm an expert meditator. Have you, any of you in this room been hurt? Okay, one person, good. Okay, okay, there we go. The rest of you had a lying spirit just came right over you, all right? I have been hurt. What does my flesh do when I'm hurt? I feel there's an injustice done. What do I do? I become the prosecuting attorney. You all know what I'm talking about. We're all, all, all expert lawyers, too. What do we do when we become the prosecuting attorney? We start pulling out evidence. And you know what we do in our mind? We build a case. And sometimes I, just, I even give speeches in my mind. And I'm like, man, that was good. I... I w- I, if that person were here, I would have just destroyed them. <laughs> oh, and I feel the heat burning in my heart. You see, I'm a great meditator. The problem is I don't meditate on the right things. What should we be meditating on when we've been hurt? How about meditating on the mercy of God? You know, I had someone come up to me today, and they, they were saying, you know, uh, I, I did this, I did that, I don't think God could forgive me. In fact, I think I've actually committed the sin that Jesus can't forgive and there's no hope for me. And obviously, we, I said, look, people that commit the sin that there's no hope for them aren't here at the altar feeling guilty about it and wishing it could be different. That's the Holy Spirit. So you haven't committed the sin that pushed you off the edge because you're up here feeling really bad and wishing you in right relationship with God. Okay, so then we got that out of the way. But then he said this, you know, I have a terrible problem of judging people. I said, okay. So you judge people, and then you open the door for the enemy to come in and beat your brains out, because he's great at judging you. I said to this man, I said, did did you ever need Jesus' forgiveness personally? Oh, yeah, I did cocaine for years. I messed up this. I messed up that. I I got into debt here. Uh, I hurt this person. I I said, so you need the mercy of God, don't you? Yes. So why are you judging people 
when you should be the one distributing grace and mercy to the degree that you have needed it yourself. Not to mention that as soon as you judge the person next to you who you think is messed up, it boomerangs back into your life and you're seven times worse for your judgment against that other person. What if we meditated at the moment of the greatest injustice? What if we meditated on the incredible mercy of God that was displayed in Jesus at the cross for all my sins? That might make, that might make me happy in the midst of injustice. Do you know, some people, they're not crazy. They're just God-centered. Everybody else said, oh, I would, I would divorce them. I'd kick him to the curb. I'd, I'd have nothing to do with him. I'd sue his parents off. And this person's just going, nah, the Lord's got it all under control. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. What, what are they? Are they messed up? Are they in, out of touch with reality? No. What are they focusing on? Usually they're meditating on truth, and the truth is causing fire to awaken in their hearts. What kind of fire? Fire for Jesus. See, here's the principle. The more I think about it, the hotter I get. Now, I'm just going to give you another example here quickly. You know, I've been meditating on the funeral coming up today. And you might think I'm weird, but as a pastor, there is nothing that helps people have a reality check better than a corpse in a casket in the room with you. And I started rehearsing. I'm just going to say something else. People that don't know God at that moment, got nothing. You tell me what comfort you get and what comfort you're going to give, what hope you have when you're looking at a corpse of somebody's body whom you love and who is gone. This is where the rubber meets the road. People get all their, their God talk, God smack, I'm an atheist, aren't I cool? Just shut up. You're going to be dead, stone cold dead someday. I hope you come to your senses before that day comes. See, when I meditate on the realities of what Jesus did and on the life that's to come, when I think about the new earth and, and heaven and, and the restoration of all, all things, it makes fire start to burn in my heart. I got home yesterday after meditating, and I sat down with my wife and my children for dinner. My heart was full. I don't do this all the time, but this was spontaneous. I said, listen to me. I'm doing a funeral tomorrow for someone who's gone. They stepped into eternity. As your dad, there's only one thing I want from all you kids. I want you to be with me forever. Nothing else matters. No other priorities matter. This matters. I told them, your dad is going to be dead someday. I am going to be gone. You will not be able to retrieve me. But I want you to be where I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm going. And I want you to have the hope that I have. And I want you to love Jesus. And I want your life to pursue God. Because at the end, what else matters? 
Why was I experiencing this heart gush of emotion? Because my focus was on standing before an audience like yours and trying to give people hope and trying to frame out a situation that's going to be painful and joyful all at the same time. And I'm just telling you, you can't do that without experiencing emotion on the inside because you're talking about things that are heavy, things that are real. You're talking about the gospel. You're talking about hope. If we would meditate on things that mattered, we'd get messed up. If we would focus on things that mattered, God would put a heat inside of our heart that would change our lives. If we would think about the weightiness of what's coming, it would shape the way we approach how and what we do right now. Am I speaking to the right crowd? The problem is we don't muse on the things that we need to muse on. We don't think on the things that we need to think on. And we suffer as a result. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got. Here's the principle. What consumes, what consumes your mind will control your life. That's why there are people here, and I believe this is a prophetic word. There are people here, what's consuming your mind right now is your past and the pain of your past and who you're not or your failures, that's consuming you. As long as you are consumed by who you are not or where you've come from, you will never be able to experience the freedom and the liberty and the love and the joy that God has for you to move into the future. Some of you are holding on to bitterness and resentment and anger, and it's because of your wrong focus that you're not able to launch into what God has for you. If you'll change what consumes your mind you'll see that a different power will begin to control your life. Turn with me very quickly. We're wrapping up right here. Joshua chapter 1. I just want to lay a principle out. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is in a critical point here in redemptive history. Moses is dead. And the Bible says Joshua is, is being crowned with the mantle of authority to lead God's people. There's a major transition taking place. And God speaks to Joshua three times with these clear instructions. Be strong, God says, and be courageous. This is found in verse 6, verse 7, verse 9. Three times, be strong and be courageous. And I want to ask you a question. Why would God say the same thing three times? Did he forget what he said the first time? Does he have a stuttering problem? Uh, Why does God repeat this three times? Let me tell you why. Have any of you ever been called into something that you felt completely overwhelmed by the call? Have any of you ever had to step into some shoes that were a few sizes too big for you? I know all about that, all right? I know what it means to step into some pretty big shoes around here. How would you like, I'm going to raise the bar a little bit though, how would you like to step into Moses' shoes? You know, the one that received the Ten Commandments from the Lord, the one who came down radiant with the glory of God coming off of his body so much so that he had to be covered up because of the brightness of the glory of God, the one who was responsible for delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt. How would you like to be taking the, the leadership mantle from that guy, the one that God performed all the miracles and the plagues uh, on the Egyptians, and, and all of a sudden they turn to Joshua, you're the man, you're the next leader. I'd be like, you got to be kidding me. You talk about feeling small, feeling scared, feeling overwhelmed. And I just want to give you all a hint. I've had people come to me before with dreams and visions. Pastor, I got this great vision for this ministry. I'm going to do this and that and this and that. It's going to be awesome. No, no, no. Listen to me. Here's the truth. 
When God apprehends you with a vision, you're never excited about it. You're scared about it. In fact, one of the ways that I've learned to single out a good idea from what God's doing is people with good ideas have way too much confidence. God's ideas are bigger than we are, and they freak us out, and they cause us to be afraid. We'll use the word we all understand, scared, all right? I'm scared. We're all scared when God calls us to do something big. I was thinking about my mom and dad. They say this over and over again. My dad was a football coach. My mom was a homemaker. They were apprehended by God. He snuck up on them. And through prophetic words and supernatural encounters and things that were beyond their ability to run from, God said, open up your living room and start ministering to people in your house. My mom, when my dad said that, my mom wanted to kill my father. (laughs) She's like, God didn't say that. God didn't call us to do that. And my dad, moving in the supernatural wisdom of God and also in fear of his life at that moment, my dad said, you go talk to God. I didn't say it. He said it. (laughs) I kid you not, he told my mom to, to go seek the Lord. He said, you go talk to the Lord. See if he tells you the same thing. My mom comes out of a time with the Lord, and she says to my dad, when do we start? Now, you could have seen in the spirit her heels making marks in the carpet all the way across. That's what I'm saying. They will tell you, we're not qualified. We're not smart enough. We're not this. We've had no experience. Where are we going to meet? They could have given you a hundred excuses, but here's the point. God doesn't care. God just stops listening. Blah, 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 blah. You're not listening. Blah, blah, blah. You're not listening to you. You might as well shut up. Because as soon as he's asked you to do something, he's, this discussion's over. What does he want you to do? Ready for this? Be strong and courageous. But Lord, here's, here's my next question. How did Joshua fulfill what God told him to do? I mean, let's just be real. How do you be strong and courageous when you're freaking out? It's a good question. Well, let's read, let's read verse 8. Study this book continually. Meditate on it day and night. What he's talking about here is make this, the knowledge of God and the reading of his word a lifestyle pattern in your life. Notice, though, so that you will be sure not just to read it, but to obey it. In other words, apply. Read the book. Meditate on the book so that the end goal is you're going to apply what you've just read. Listen to this. God always gives us a promise. Whenever the Lord wants to motivate us, he motivates us on the basis of reward. Now, some people feel guilty, like, you know what? Uh, you shouldn't give to get. You shouldn't do this for that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have any motives in mind. Let me just ask you a question. Why in the world would God motivate us on the basis of reward if he doesn't want us to be motivated on the basis of reward? I'm just asking. Why would he use that strategy if it's not meant to motivate us? Now, how many of you know your heart can be impure? You could have impure motivations. But I'm telling you, God's getting ready here to give the most momentous promise for all of you. It's for all of you, every single one of you. This is your promise. I just want to see you if you're up for it, okay? Here's the promise. If you'll meditate on the word and do apply everything that's written in it, you will prosper and succeed in all that you do. 
I, I just want to ask you all this morning, kind of a dumb question. Does anybody want to prosper and succeed in all that you do? Yes. I mean, seriously, if that's you, wave, wave at me. Okay, if you're not waving at me, we got problems. There's a Greek word, it's called idiotes. It means idiot. <laughs> I just said, who wants to live your life walking in the prosperity and success of God so that all that you touch, there's the blessing of God on him? Not me. Are you kidding me? Amen. We'll sow into that one. That's going into Cambodia. That's an investment right there. Chris, jump on that work. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's like, did your Bible say that or is that just my Bible? No, your Bible says that. Meditate on the word to do it. God says, I'll back you and my favor will be on you. This is a great deal. I'm in on that. I don't know about, I'm, I'm in on that, okay? Some say, well, pastor, you know, I just don't have the time to meditate. I'm busy. In fact, just spending any time with God is really hard. You are a spiritual moron. <laughs> don't anybody be offended. I mean that in Christian love. <laughs> I hope you're laughing with me. Yes, you would look at that person like, what in the world is the matter with you? Do you like pain? Do you like frustration? Do you like misery? Do you like this? Yes, it builds godly character. You're not. That's never what God intended, to build your godly character. How about meditating on the word and obeying it? That'll build godly character. That's what I'm talking about. And look at what it says next. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want to share something else. God is so politically incorrect. I love it. It's one of the reasons why I like a certain president now, because it's just politically incorrect, and I just, I just love it. It appeals to my carnal nature. I just love it. I love it. But God's politically incorrect. I'm just telling you, you know why God's politically incorrect? Because this is the way it works. I command you to be strong and courageous. Lord, how about just a gentle encouragement? No. I command you. I command you. I mean, you know, that is, that is a commandment of the Lord, that we're strong and courageous. Now, here's what should be going through your mind. I give up. How do I do that? How do I have the power to do that? That's exactly the question you should be asking. Because here's the cool thing about the Lord. He never commands us to do something that he does not expect us to depend on his strength for the doing of it. And here's why. God says, love your neighbor. That neighbor? I can't. I need help. Thank you. I have help. Graceline. I go love my neighbor. What happens? I get the joy. God gets the glory. Everything in life is meant. Some people say, well, God would never command you to do something that you can't do. Oh, no. Every commandment is a command you can't do. That's the point. Because you need him. What is the purpose of faith? Faith is putting your confidence not in your own strength, but in the ability of God to work on your behalf. I'm just telling you, we're all weak, we're all pathetic, we're all messed up. Every one of us. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to you too. Just tell him, all right? Just tell him. That's baseline. That's baseline. So everybody just relax. You're like, man, I don't know if I could come to church. Lightning will strike me. Trust me, it would have happened a lot before you got here, okay? We're all, can <laughs> we're all candidates for that. We're all broken and messed up. How do we obey the commandments of God the same way? Help. We reach up. If you could picture... 
like in our bulletins, a lifeline, a big cord coming down with a knot on the end. Sometimes you just reach up and say, God, help. And you grab a hold of the lifeline. What happens when you get a hold of the lifeline? Grace to do what God has called you to do comes. That's why I appreciated Nancy's testimony so much because she said, you know, Pastor, there are times when life is hard, relationships are hard, it's overwhelming. What do you do when you're overwhelmed? I think the psalmist said this, lead me to a rock that's higher than I. I got to get to some higher ground. I got to get to somewhere where it's not shaking. I got to get somewhere where I can find God. I got to get somewhere where I can run to this high tower and find strength. That's called the grace of God. And guess what? It's amazing to me how when you spend time praying the Psalms, exactly what you read that day will speak to you in a situation where you need what you just read. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This week, last thing I'll say. This week I read a psalm that contained this phrase. The Lord surrounds me with songs of deliverance. That jumped off the pages of the Bible and I just started saying this. What does that mean? I am surrounded right now by voices singing songs over my life. What kind of songs are they? Songs of victory. Songs of deliverance. Listen, if you never stop long enough to hear the music, you're going to miss out on some amazing things. Then I started asking, Lord, who's singing? Who's singing songs of deliverance over my life? I started thinking about that. I wonder if there's an angelic choir that I don't see with my eyes, but they're singing over me. I wonder if it's the Lord Jesus himself singing over me. I wonder if it's the saints who have gone before us who are singing songs of them. I wonder if it's Joshua himself saying, come on, Pastor Ron, hang in there. Be strong and courageous. There's victory on the other side of this battle. See, here's what I did. That one verse, that one little phrase jumped out at me. I chewed on that phrase all day long. In fact, it's been all week long. And you know what it's doing every time I chew on it? I get something else out of it. It's like when you give your, your little two-year-old a lemon to chew for the first time. They don't have any teeth yet. It's fun. We, we didn't have a big budget. We had to find fun things to do for entertainment. <laughs> so uh, we gave Ronnie, when he, was, when he was teething, we gave Ronnie one of those big deal pickles. He just gummed that thing to where all that was left was this, the little skin of the pickle hanging there in his, in his hand. All right? it, was, it was great. I'm a, like a kid with no teeth gumming a pickle full of the Word of God. I'm just gumming it all week long. I'm sucking everything I can get out of the simple phrase that somebody is singing songs of deliverance around me right now. That is awesome. And I'll chew on that until I get all the nourishment out, and then guess what happened? God will bring something else up. But see, why is God doing that? Because he loves me. He's wanting to encourage me. God wants to do that for you. You all believe that? Who in this room, I want you to stand, if you, if you really believe it, that if you'll meditate on the word and apply what God teaches you, that God's desire is to prosper what, is, what you set your hands to do. And I'm not just talking about, I'm not talking about material prosperity exclusively, but I'm also not saying that that's not part of it. But I'm saying prosper you body, soul, and spirit, that you'll be full of the Lord, full of the joy of the Lord, full of the strength of God, that you'll be fruitful in blessing other people, the giving your life away, serving other people, and that God will give you all that you need so that at all times, in all situations, you will abound. You will abound. Isn't that God's will for our lives? So here, here's my point. If we're not in that yet, then let's press in to get it. 
If we're not walking in that, let's press in to get it. Well, how do you get it? Meditate on the Word. Pray the Word. Chew on the Word. Eat the Word. Talk to God. Hang out at church. Be with God's people. These are all the lifelines that God has given us. All right, stand to your feet. I want to pray over you this morning. Anybody get anything out of this besides me? Amen. Let's just set our eyes on the Lord right now. I want some of you, if you came here this morning and you were meditating on the wrong things, now's the time just to say, Lord, forgive me. This thing's eating me up. This fear is eating me up. This relationship is consuming me. Now's the time to, to shift gears and to determine that you're going to fill your mind and your heart with what God says about you. You're going to believe the truth. Lord, I ask you to deliver people right now. Lord, our desire is that we move into the fullness of what you have for us. Lord, this is a year of great acceleration. It's a year of breakthrough. This is a year of blessing. And Lord, sometimes we wait for the circumstances to change before we get our breakthrough, but actually the breakthrough happens before we get our circumstances changed. The breakthrough happens on the inside of us before we ever see the manifestation of what we have been praying for. So Lord, I pray for strong, courageous, faith-filled people that are locked together with you and locked arm in arm, Lord, as we go through life. Lord, we're asking you to blow our minds as we continue to to seek you and pursue you. Lord, just rock us, undo us, awaken us, encounter us, love on us. Speak your words over us, God, and encourage our hearts, Lord, so that we would pursue you with reckless abandon. God, we want to be radical lovers of Jesus. I pray that over our church family today. And Lord, I just extend an invitation to those that are visiting, and maybe this is your first time, and I don't, I don't know you, you don't know me, but you're here on purpose this morning. God has spoken something to you this morning, and if you don't know him, or if you've got a need in your life, or you just need somebody to agree with you, our leadership team will be up front here at the altar as soon as I say amen, and we want to pray with you, and we want to love on you, and we want to encourage you. God wants to touch you today. If you don't know Jesus God wants to make that happen today. It's a supernatural thing, but God has brought you here to encounter you because he loves you. So the altars are open. If there's any ministry that needs to take place, come on down. We want to we want to stand with you. Father, we ask you to heal our marriages, heal our families, heal bodies, Lord, that are sick and broken. Lord, heal people who are far from you and that need an encounter with you. Lord, just do what you love to do in this place today. Lord, as we meditate on you this week, Cause our hearts to burn. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. And we got marriage class back up today. It's a great video series that's going on. If you need some help and encouragement in your marriage, come on out at 4 o'clock today, all right? Hey, we love you guys. God bless you. Have an amazing week.